Hello, and welcome to Off Our Next, a podcast about women in the law. I'm your host, Jennifer L. Brinkley, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies at the University of West Florida. Off Our Next is derived from a quote from the abolitionist Sarah Grimke. She was born in 1792 and worked to end slavery and fought for women's rights. Her famous quote, which inspired this podcast, was, I ask no favors for my sex. I surrender not our claim to equality. All I ask of our brethren is that they will take their feet from off our necks. My guest today is Heidi K. Brown, Director of Legal Writing and Associate Professor of Law at Brooklyn Law School. She has published four books on predictive and persuasive legal writing and federal litigation, as well as numerous scholarly articles for law journals. In 2017, she published her fifth book, The Introverted Lawyer, a seven-step journey toward authentically empowered advocacy. Most recently, she published her sixth book, Untangling Fear and Lawyering, a four-step journey toward powerful advocacy. Inspired by her own experience conquering the fear of public speaking during her litigation career, she is passionate about helping law students and lawyers find their authentic lawyer voices and overcome anxiety about Socratic legal discourse and performance-based lawyering tasks. Today, we are discussing The Introverted Lawyer. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I must say, this seems to be an important book for this period of quarantine lockdown. Let's start with what made you want to write The Introverted Lawyer. When I was a law student, I was never the student that had my hand in the air. I didn't volunteer in class. I loved school and I loved research and writing, but I always felt like I had a weakness that I just would feel public speaking. I would turn really red when I was cold called in class. And then I ended up getting a job in litigation. So my, my first law firm job was at a construction litigation firm. And I was very grateful to have the job. But again, I excelled in my research and writing aspects of my job, but I always got really nervous. I had to go speak to a partner. I ended up working there both my summers in law school and then after graduation. And literally for 15 years, I thought there was something wrong with me that trouble sort of chiming in in meetings. And I was I was never the first one to offer an opinion about anything. So what led me to write the book was really transitioning out of law practice into law teaching about 15 years into my career and noticing that my brightest legal writing students, my most insightful problem solvers, my creative students, They were also the most afraid of the performance aspects of law school, and they would confide in me that they were nervous about whether they were cut out for the profession. So I realized, okay, somebody needs to write about this because we we are cut out for the profession. We just approach it differently. So that's what led me to study the difference between introversion and extroversion, but also the differences among introversion shyness and social anxiety, which are totally different from each other. And um, I struggle with with all of the all of the above. (laughs) You say society tends to clump together the classifications of introversion, shyness and social anxiety when labeling quiet individuals. So what's the definition of an introvert? So introversion and shyness and social anxiety are very different from each other. Introversion and extroversion are just the ways in which different individuals process energy and stimuli. And when I first discovered that from researching my book, it was like someone had flipped a light switch on for me to realize 
that yes, I'm an introvert. I like, I can be social, but I, I definitely will hit a wall where I need to retreat. If I'm in a really overstimulating environment, either professionally or personally, I can handle it to a point, but then I really need solitude, quietude. I need to be alone to re- rejuvenate or re-energize myself. I can handle those situations, but unlike my extroverted friends, I definitely hit a point when I want to go home and just be by myself <laughs> in total yeah. and the comfort of my home. So that's different from shyness and social anxiety, which I didn't realize. I had always just thought, oh, I'm a quiet person. People would think, oh, no, she's, you know, she's shy. She's antisocial. She just wants to sit in the library and read. But really, introversion is different from shyness and social anxiety. You can be a confident introvert and just very comfortably comfortable being alone. But shyness and social anxiety is when we have a fear of judgment or a fear of criticism. And that can hold us back in performance scenarios as well. And I definitely grappled with shyness and social anxiety in law school and law practice because I worried a lot about how others perceived me. Sure. And I think that's, that's a a common theme, um, at least with uh, my history with law school. And I really liked in your book, how you talk about this idea of energy and that introverts energy drains more swiftly than, than extroverts. It, it really hit home kind of this um, image of, you know, stockpiled energy. And when it's out, it's, it's out. Yes, that's very true. I can feel it when I'm hitting the, the edge, <laughs> when I need to retreat to rejuvenate energy. And I find that it happens a lot in meetings where my extroverted colleagues will be, be gaining energy from interrupting each other or just talking and talking. And I'm sitting there listening and absorbing all these different great ideas. But by the end of the meeting, I'm exhausted I also throw a lot of energy into my teaching, as I'm sure you do. And, and at the end of a class, I, I, after speaking for an hour and a half, two hours, I suddenly feel like, okay, I just need to go close my office door and be alone. And that's my introversion. I can perform at a really high level, but then I'm very aware when I feel drained and need to just you know, have some quiet time and then the energy will, will rekindle itself. Your book spends time talking about advice often given to introverts. This idea of if you are uncomfortable in a setting, then you should just fake it until you make it. Why is this bad advice to give an introvert? For years, I tried to apply all that advice. The advice, just do it. You know, just put yourself in all the scenarios and then you'll get more comfortable at speaking in front of people or interrupting people. And then the fake it till you make it. I tried faking it. I tried faking extroversion and a different personality type for years. And all it did was drain me further. And I didn't know why. And when I did the research for my book, a lot of the experts who had written about this before I did said that introverts resist inauthenticity. So the whole concept of faking anything for an introvert is, is just unpleasant. <laughs> and I can relate to that. I, I never liked simulated assignments in law school. I didn't like role playing with my clients and witnesses before we would go to court or practicing for testimony. It just felt very 
inauthentic. I knew sometimes we had to do that, but I didn't understand why the faking it felt so awful. And I realized when I did this work to study for my book, that's why we don't, we don't need to fake who we are. We don't need to change our personalities. Yes, we can learn how to amplify our voices authentically when, when we need to be heard, but we don't need to do it in a fake way or try to mirror other personalities or other people's behavior in order to be heard. I really love this quote from your book, a voice does not need to boom to have an impact. And you quote an activist who said, speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. That just really resounds. As a self-defined introvert, I appreciated this idea of how introverts don't talk for talk's sake. So why are introverts selective with words? We tend to process everything internally, hence the word intro. And when we are listening in meetings or we're in a classroom or a courtroom environment or any situation in which other people are talking, we're processing all of those stimuli, those uh, sound bites of information, difficulties, challenges. We're doing all that internally. And introverts just have a natural tendency to want to process things internally and sort of vet and test our ideas, our language, our words, our theories, our analogies internally before we share them with others. It's just a natural way our brains process information and ideas. So we're much more selective and we wait longer to offer those ideas out loud. I I think I quote someone else in the book by saying that we can edit ourselves into silence. (laughs) I definitely experienced that where I'll be in meetings and I'll have an idea, but I'm doing that internal processing and I'm being selective in how I want to frame it. And the group has already moved on to three other ideas, but I'm still back on that one idea, trying to get it perfect. So when I articulate it, it makes sense. And that's just the way that my brain processes information. I actually think it's a good asset. It's an asset that introverts bring to legal education and the legal profession because we are very selective in how we want to frame things. We don't talk just for talk's sake. We want to get it right. And it might seem like it's taking us longer or that we're not as quick on our feet, but that's okay. We're, we're trying to get it right. Let's discuss the classroom setting. Why is it important to understand the distinction between introversion and shyness when you are an instructor in the legal classroom? I think this is vitally important, and I hope that more and more uh, law professors and any type of educator will think about this, especially when we apply the Socratic method or cold calling. So often I hear law professors saying, well, cold calling is the only to make sure that my students do the reading and they're prepared for class. But I know from personal experience, that's that's just not true, that I was a very quiet law student. I was an introvert, I now know, but also a a person with social anxiety and, and shyness and public speaking anxiety. But I was always prepared for class. It's just that when I was called on, my brain would sort of go into fight, flight, or freeze mode And I couldn't access quickly enough the information that I needed to answer the question. But if my professor sort of had a broader awareness of introverts needing more time to process a question, or also that some students really do have a fight, flight, or freeze response, 
classroom. It's it's instinctive. It's automatic. We can't just fake our way out of it. <laughs> so it's it's a very real phenomenon. And but it doesn't mean that we don't know what our what we're doing. It doesn't mean we're not prepared. And so I've been wanting for more law professors to realize, okay, if you if you tell students in advance, okay, in, in the second half of class, I'm going to call on these three students. Um, the students can, even though it might still be scary or intimidating for the student or an introvert might still need time to process their answers, at least they can put some techniques into place to get them in a better frame of mind to, to handle the speaking in front of 60, 70, 80 other students. It's a very real thing. It's not that the students aren't prepared. It's just that for some of us, our brains process information differently. What I have found is when you give quieter students adequate time to think and, and talk themselves through what they need to do to be able to perform, the ideas they come up with are just phenomenal but we're missing out on, on those students' voices if we just kind of force them to do Socratic method on the spot when they don't really thrive in that type of environment. And let's talk a little bit about the role of empathy in the legal profession. You submit this as a skill that should be focused on more in law school. You also state that legal writing is an exercise in applied empathy. Is this something that can be taught or cultivated? I definitely think that empathy can be cultivated and taught. It's it's not something we're either born with or without. It's it's something that with greater self-awareness, we and awareness of what others might be going through, we can cultivate and talk about and teach in class and practice and grow from and grow into. I I found myself realizing that you know, a lot of times I think I have ideas about how something is affecting someone else, but I haven't really listened to that person. It's remarkable, even with what we're all going through right now, is it's affecting everybody in, in different ways. But until we stop and listen to one another, we we're just going to project our own feelings, and our own emotions onto other people. I think as lawyers, whether the legal issue we're dealing with is is something very personal or even like in my practice, it was very corporate. We still needed empathy to be able to understand what was really underlying the conflict between the clients. I always joke, I, you know, I practice construction law. What, how would empathy possibly apply in that scenario? But when, when we did kind of, when we had trouble figuring out the answers in the 80 page contract or they, the solution to the legal problem wasn't apparent in the case law or the statutes or the regulations. We had to exhibit empathy and read through the lines of emails that angry guys were firing off at each other when they were in the midst of this conflict and really understand that there was fear involved, fear of losing money, fear of losing a case, fear of losing business. And empathy allows us as lawyers to really get at the emotions that are causing a conflict rather than just what's written down on a page. The second part of the book discusses a seven-step journey toward authentically empowered advocacy. It starts with a great quote by Mark Tanner that says, the question for an introvert is not why I am such a bad hammer. It is whether I'm willing to be happy being an excellent screwdriver. 
and quietly get on with inserting screws while others enthusiastically attack the nails. What a powerful quote. I love that quote. It's so visual. (laughs) And you mentioned the goal throughout the seven-step process is authenticity. What do you mean by that? So for years, as I mentioned, I tried to fake extroversion or fake uh, an overly confident personality because that's what most of the lawyers that I worked with or my opposing counsel were usually these gregarious, strong-willed, tough personalities. I'm just not naturally like that. And I invested all this energy, I wasted all this energy trying to be inauthentic, but show a personality that I thought people expected of me as a litigator. But when I started studying this, you know, I really had to study myself. And it sometimes it wasn't so fun to analyze myself and reflect on when I felt good, when I felt bad, when I felt sad. And I took all these techniques and tips from, from about 26 other different resources and pared them down into this process of reflection and reflecting on, because we can't change anything until we reflect and realize what our perceived obstacles are. And when I did the the first two steps of the process are mental reflection and physical reflection, because my, my introversion, my, my anxiety, my uh, performance fears are very physical. I have a very robust blushing response, which I'm sure you read about in the book. Not only did I need to reflect on what messages I had been telling myself, honestly, for two decades about my abilities that just weren't true, I also needed to reflect on my physical reactions in all of those performance moments and then understand what my brain does when I'm in a performance moment that that could be adjusted and, and put together a better mental plan, but also physically, how I hold my my physique, how I carry myself when I'm in a lawyering performance scenario. And it's really remarkable to do that reflective work first and figure out how we can amplify our voices authentically instead of trying to fake a different personality. Yeah. And you really emphasize how important reflection is. In fact, it's also step seven. The last step um, of your plan is this post-action reflection and paying it forward process. What do you mean by paying it forward? This has been the most fun part of this journey, researching the book, writing the book, and then talking about the book with people like you. And in this, the steps of the journey, as I mentioned, the first two steps are reflection, mental and physical. The next two steps are mental and physical action plans. And then there's two steps about stepping into performance modes But as you mentioned, the seventh step is reflecting back on how our new mental physical action plans, how they worked, what worked, what what could be adjusted a bit for the next time, but then sharing that information. So what I mean about pay it forward is we can really change our legal profession if we, we sort of take a break from making it seem like everybody has to do the same thing. Everybody has to be the same tough personality in the classroom or in law school competitions or in summer jobs or in full-time jobs. We don't all have to be the same. So the, the pay it forward for me is showing and trying to be a good example for how to be a quiet but impactful lawyer or law professor 
And then what I've learned is people reach out. They, they have reached out to me over email or different social media to say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm like that too. It's okay for me to be who I am. I'm, I'm good at this. I, yes, I can amplify myself in, in a more meaningful way when I need to by trying some of these techniques, but I can be a happy, healthy attorney being exactly who I am and I can help somebody else do that. So that's what I mean by paying it forward, being really open and vulnerable and honest about the stuff we've all gone through to, to get to this realization and then helping another person who might be struggling with it now or afraid that they're not cut out for the profession because they absolutely are. Yeah, I, I really love those themes throughout this book of authenticity and vulnerability and transparency, and especially using those in the classroom. I just think that is so beneficial for students. And I just really enjoyed this book. Um, so I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Before we leave, let me just ask you, uh, what are you working on now? Well, I realized doing my reflection that I'm always happier when I'm writing. So I am eager to start another writing project. I've been really thinking and pondering about more performance anxiety issues and performance fears, but trying to tap into how athletes and other performers, musicians, for example, how they deal with performance anxiety and if there's any techniques or guidance that we, we as lawyers and law professors and law students can learn from athletes and other types of stage performers. So that's what I'm working on now. It's, it's still percolating, so I don't have really a, a, a plan yet, but, uh, but that's what I'm working on to try to flesh out how we can be happy, healthier contributors to the legal profession by looking to see what other types of performers and in other industries do. Oh, that's really interesting. I'll be interested in seeing how that comes to fruition for you. So thank you so much for coming on to the program. I really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening to Off Our Next. <laughs>